First, I want to ask you to find Matthew chapter 7 in your Bibles. We're going to read that in a minute. Matthew chapter 7 at verse 24. If you use that Bible on your table, it'll be on page 965. Page 965, Matthew chapter 7. Now, while you find that, I'm going to open with a little illustration. We're going to be doing something called the Red Letter Challenge starting next week, really starting this coming Wednesday, March 2nd, which is Ash Wednesday, and it marks the beginning of the Lenten season. That's a traditional time of spiritual preparation for celebrating the resurrection of Jesus, his passion, death, and resurrection. And uh, I believe this series is going to be pretty amazing for all of us if we'll take it seriously and join in it. The, uh, the premise of the red letter challenge, if you haven't figured it out already, is we're going to focus on the words of Jesus. And I had the pleasure of working with our youth group this morning for a little while before I came down. And, and I told them, I said, you know, the problem is that sometimes we forget the words of Jesus, but we still remember the traditions of our church and our family. We are more wrapped up in what we've heard about Jesus and the things of Jesus than we are the words of Jesus. So today is, is the beginning of an intentional effort to focus on the words of Jesus because we may find out that we're off just a little. I remember my first church appointment was to a two-point charge. That means I had two rural churches that I cared for and uh, one of them was in Lanesville, Indiana, which is a sweet little town that doesn't even have a stoplight. So, you know, you can blow right through it. And just out of sight and around the bend behind the hardware store was this church that I served, a little white clapboard church with red carpet and old paneling and, you know, all the things you expect in an old church from back in the day. And I was excited and green and new and full of energy and ignorance, which is a good thing in a lot of ways. In this case, it was. And things started popping pretty quickly. The church started growing. We went from like nine people in attendance to after three years, about 90, you know, so something was going right. And early in my tenure as their pastor, people were so excited that the church was vibrant again. They started talking about the glory days and what they meant was 1956. And back in those days, you know, they had a choir, they had lots of people in church, they had full Sunday school classes, and, and they were thinking about how those days might come again. And that's the thing that happens a lot in church, you know, we think about the glory days if we've been around for a while. Might not have been 1956 for Shiloh, but it could have been 1986 or 1996. But here and now is where we are. And that's what we're going to talk about it with this red letter challenge. Uh, so they were pretty excited back in those days, back in the mid-90s when I was serving that little church, and they were thinking that we needed to celebrate because, you know, we're still here. We haven't gone out of business like everybody thought we would, and, and so we were kicking around ideas, you know, because the leadership team, or we call the administrative council, was basically those nine people who were in church that first Sunday, you know, and they were excited. And, and one of them, a precious dear lady named Mildred, she said, you know, I believe this is our 150th anniversary year. Well, she was the church historian because she had the box in her closet. That's worthy of a laugh. Come on. They gave me a huge laugh upstairs for that one. 
She had a shoebox in her closet which contained the church archive. And the treasurer, who lived in a different part of town, had the finances in her shoebox in the closet. So at least we knew if the church burned down, it was safe. Thank you for at least a little chuckle. These are true things, by the way, and God loved them. God blessed them. They were so precious to me because little churches like that, they, they host a regular parade of young, enthusiastic, newbie pastors because that's all they can afford. And so they were so kind to me and so good to me. And then I, I got excited because, you know, I was young and hip and cool and I could do the technology on my dot matrix printer. Okay, you know, the kind where you have to tear those miserable holes off the side. And I could do wonders with that. And I had graphics and everything in the bulletin. It was amazing. I, I would print the bulletin on this top matrix paper and then take it down to the hardware store because our copier hadn't worked in years. And I would use the hardware store's copier to print the bulletins from that dot matrix original. And then... I kept posting week after week, you know, because of Mildred, that we were going to celebrate our 150th anniversary this year. And we were kicking around ideas because they used to have ice cream socials back in the day and the old broken hand, old broken hand crank uh, ice cream churns were down in the basement rotting, you know, and we were going to revive all of this. And, and then about, oh, three weeks in, Mildred called me at the parsonage and she said, Pastor... I got the box out and I've done some digging and I, I was off. It's 141 years this year. Darn it. Missed it by that much. So I posted in the bulletin a real honest-to-goodness black-and-white graphic of a referee doing that signal they do in the football game that says you're about this much short of the 10-yard line, right? Missed it by that much. Now, that was funny and sad, and it didn't really deter our enthusiasm, and we still found a way to celebrate, and it was lots of fun. But, but you know... We do a lot of things that way in our Christian living. We, we miss it by that much. You know, we, we have the best of intentions. And, you know, maybe if Mildred had it to do over again, and God rest her soul, and part of the reason I can say this is because she's not here to, to be offended by it. But if she had it to do over again, I suspect she probably would have said, well, I probably should have looked in the box first. Right? Should have gone back to the original source first. And this brings me to the red ink in the Bible and why we need to study it. Now, with that in mind, I first want to draw your attention to the scripture again. Let's read together now from Matthew chapter 7, starting at verse 24. This is a little short passage. And uh, let's just hear what, what Jesus says. Everyone then who hears these words of mine and does them will be like a wise man who built his house on the rock. And the rain fell, and the floods came, and the winds blew and beat on that house, but it did not fall, because it had been founded on the rock. And everyone who hears these words of mine and does not do them will be like a foolish man who built his house on the sand. And the rain fell, and the floods came, and the winds blew and beat against the house, and it fell, 
and great was the fall of it. The word of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God. A little later, Jesus also says in chapter 9, the harvest is plentiful, but the workers are few. Now, History in our country has taught us about the foolishness of building a house on sand. I think about uh, a couple of now historic earthquakes in, in California. One I remember, as some of you do, George, you were probably watching that World Series game, same as me. And, and what they found was, as they always find, is that houses built on sand don't do well in earthquakes because the sand just moves like soup. And so if you're going to build a house on sand, you've got to drive the pilings that are going to hold it up all the way through the sand to bedrock. And if that house is firmly setting on bedrock, it can withstand the storms even in the sand above the bedrock. And yet, if they put those pilings down so far, but they don't actually make it all the way to the bedrock, then they've missed it by that much and it won't make any difference. So we can think in those terms. After the weather we've been having over the last six weeks or so, we can all agree that having a house that's well built on firm ground is comfort. And so we hear Jesus saying that and we realize that just just by missing the mark on some critical errors, uh, areas rather, and leaving behind errors, I guess I could say, then, then we find ourselves in danger. And then Jesus says that the harvest is plentiful, but the workers are few. And, and you know, I've heard that passage many times as you have, but, but the last couple of days it's really kind of sunk into me that, you know, anybody remember the Smothers Brothers? There was something Tommy would say, uh, or Dick would say to Tommy, he'd say, that wasn't a compliment, <laughs> you know? And, and this was like that. It really wasn't a compliment what Jesus was saying or, or a, a commendation or anything. What he was saying was, is there are plenty of people out there who when they hear my message of grace and when they receive the grace of God that will save them for all eternity, when they can live by a law that is not afflicted by all kinds of human interpretation, when they can meet the lovely, glorious, beautiful Savior that Jessica was singing about with the praise team, they are going to be hungry for that. They're going to, they know they're hungry for that. They just don't know what that is. Some of you are going to leave here after church and you're going to say, what do I feel like for, for some lunch today? And maybe you'll go home and make lunch or you'll go out to dinner or something like that. And, and you know you're hungry and you know what kind of feels like it would satisfy your taste. But you also know what the offerings are here in Jasper. And you're probably thinking, I don't want any of that. It no longer satisfies me. So what can I get? And, you know, no wonder we all get so excited that there's a new restaurant in town. <laughs> something different. And... That's how people are. That's the harvest field. There's people out there that are looking for something. And not sure what it is, but they're hungry. And Jesus says, and you folks have found it, but there's so few of you who will actually do anything about it. It's not a compliment. He's saying it's really sad and that we ought to take it to heart that our master and king, our Lord Jesus Christ, is a little disappointed that so few will actually take up the cause of bringing in the harvest. 
His words will at times rebuke us, especially if we are like the Pharisees and the Sadducees and the other religious elite of his day who were set in their ways and comfortable with their religion. His words will be hard for us to hear. On the other hand, his words are amazing good news for people who are hungry for that and they didn't know it until they had tasted of it. Now, our series is based on a program and a book written by a guy named Zach Zender. Now, the book is right over there on that card. I have one up here. The adult book is the black one here. You'll use this book with small groups. And I'll talk about that more in a few minutes, but this book will be your, your core element of your study. There will also be um, like seven or eight minute videos that you watch each time you meet that will guide your weekly discussion in your small group. And Zach, well, you know, he's one of those young, better looking pastors who preach from a stage with fancy lights and things that always irritate me. It doesn't mean they're right or they're wrong. It just means that sometimes I wonder, you know, if, if pastors who are old and bald and gray bearded and don't have a lot of fancy technology, get much attention, you know? So I beg your pardon for my, my self-indulgent uh, pity party. But my point is, is that when you watch Zach, you're gonna see a guy whose message is right on. And, and here's what he said about this red letter challenge. What caused him to write this book and lead uh, this, this time around, for example, as we begin, we're going to be aligned with about 25,000 people in 102 different churches across 32 states and three different countries who are all doing this at the same time we'll be doing it, okay? So, you know, I always say if, if you see something blessed by God, you probably ought to pay attention it's probably God at work in our midst, and that means we better join him in it. And so Zach says that, he said that uh, he was prompted by a book that came out a few years ago, I read it too, called Unchurch, and it was written by uh, David Kinneman and Gabe Lyons. These two researched for about three years trying to figure out why people don't go to church. And what they found out was that if you ask someone who is a Christian what they think of other Christians, you get a variety of colorful answers. And they're not always complimentary. <laughs> and what's interesting is, is that on any given Sunday, there will be a preacher who's standing in the sacred pulpit preaching against other Christians. Now, you may not have ever heard this before. You may not know this, but I can tell you from personal experience, I'm going to tell you something very personal, and that is that about 10 years of our life was, as a family, was, was injured, mainly because of the disciples of a church where the pastor spent more time talking about what's wrong with other Christians than probably he should have. And it so happened that our oldest child married into a family of that church that pretty much wrote us off as heathen because I was a United Methodist pastor and everybody knows what they're like. <laughs> Not that they ever bothered to get to know me. 
You know more about me than they did, and that's just from Sunday preaching, okay? Now, why would I share something so personal in a venue like this? Because it's my proof that this is real. There are Christians out there saying horrible things about other Christians. And boy, if there's ever been a time for us to be united in the one thing we all have in common, which is that first word or first part of the word Christian, Christ. We're all claiming him. And thanks be to God, he claims us, even though we don't represent him very well sometimes. Now, that's just what they found out about Christians talking about each other. Then they asked in their three-year study, people who don't go to church, what they think of Christians. Over 50% of the people polled said this, Christians are judgmental, hypocritical, anti-homosexual, too political, old-fashioned, out of touch, insensitive, and boring. And I would add from my own personal research, irrelevant. That's what at least 50% of the people they polled over three years think of Christians. And think about polling, and, and this is a whole science in and of itself, it's a sociological thing, and I know at this stage in my life that I probably could have been a, a sociology professor if not a pastor, because I'm really into this kind of stuff. And what I can tell you is, is that polls are amazingly accurate in the way that they represent groups of people. And so I'm willing to, I'm willing to go out on a limb and tell you that about 50% of the people that drive by our church out there on 56 every day feel the same way about us. Every time. And it probably stems from the fact that they've had a negative experience with Christians. They've had a negative experience with Christians. They've been judged, condemned. They've listened to Christians who in the name of Jesus, or at least in their perception, it's in the name of Jesus that they sit there and mouth off about politics and other Christians and, and a thousand other things. And, and you're going to find out as you get to know me that I have some very strict theological and doctrinal stands on certain things that I consider immovable objects. But God help me, I hope you never hear me saying hateful things about people whose lifestyles don't line up with mine. I will take a stand for the sake of a doctrinal thing, for the sake of a theological thing, and we'll have to talk about that in depth and private, but, but what you need to know is, is that I don't want the world to witness me saying things that damage my testimony for Christ, because this is what the result is. Now, I'm going to add a third thing to the mix that's not in uh, Zach Zender's materials, but it is part of my own study. He wrote this before the pandemic, so for the last couple of years, we've pastors have been trying to figure some things out after the pandemic, and one of the things that's just blowing our minds and baffling us is how in the world so many people who used to be part of the church family didn't come back when we reopened the doors. How did they just disappear? <laughs> I'm a little distracted this morning because I dared to read an email before I came to the pulpit that told me one of the reasons the person's not back, and it's not on my list, but not exactly off my list either. Carrie Newhoff is a person I've come to know in the last six months or so who offers a pretty, uh, I think, insightful 
uh, take on this. Uh, he said that the reason a lot of people have fallen away from church is not that they've quit, but rather that they just are indifferent. Let me read this quote to you. The pandemic sped up the death rate of churches as regular attenders dropped away and never returned. And here at Shiloh, it's the same. Carrie Newhoff says that the probable cause is, is that most people who have stopped attending church didn't leave your church. They just stopped coming. That's what indifference does. You just stop coming. But you never really think of yourself as having left. Now, that hasn't helped me solve the problem or figure out what we do about it. But the truth of the matter is, is that it gives me a little comfort to know that that's probably true. There are people who just stopped coming and it isn't for any other reason than it, it just isn't particularly pertinent anymore. It doesn't really, you know, I mean, people show up in churches every weekend without fail, but other people show up every six to 10 weekends without fail. And some people show up twice a year without fail. And that's been going on since church has been going on. But, but then this pandemic happened and there were people, I think, who realized that they didn't miss it. It wasn't an integral part of their week. They, they left home on Sunday morning and came to church out of habit. And a year and a half or so was long enough time to get out of the habit. And so when it came time to get back in the habit, there wasn't any particular motivation. And yet they would not want to disconnect from the church because there are things that they value when they need them. And I'm not criticizing here. I, one, one thing that, that I'm sure I'm going to hear more of after the first service, you know, it's dangerous preaching online, folks, let me tell you. But my intention is not to condemn anybody who's not here for whatever reason they're not here. My intention is to simply communicate the facts as best as I can understand them. And the fact is, is there are a lot of people who are still Christians in their own heart and mind. They are still members of this Shiloh family in their heart and mind, but they're not here because they prefer to stay home and watch it online, which makes them not the people I'm talking about. If you're worshiping online right now, you're not one of the people I'm talking about. It's the people who don't even realize that they got out of the habit until something comes up that makes them feel the need to be here, right? Now, before this sounds like I'm going on and on and on complaining, about everybody and everything. Let me see if I can wrap this into something powerful and useful in the spirit of God's love and grace for all of us. Zach Zender wrote this book and started this program because as a pastor, he was feeling the same thing that I've just expressed to you. And as a pastor, I can tell you, and I've told you for years in one way or another, those who are close to me, like Jess, who work in the office with me and Katrina and, and, and people like that, they know that I am convinced that the only way we can grow the church is through real Christian discipleship. I have always believed that. I believed it back in that little crack, cracker box, rectangular little church down there in the valley in Lanesville. I've always believed that churches should not try to grow because they have a better program than another church or better music than another church. Churches should not grow based on how popular they are. 
Because this church can tell you that as soon as something better comes along or as soon as you stop delivering this high standard that you once met, they'll just move on to something else. I'm not interested in winning a popularity contest. What I want to do is lead disciples of Jesus Christ into sanctified life and eternal life where the continuation of sanctification occurs. That's all I care about. And it gets me in trouble with some people. But see, that's what Zach was feeling when he got into this situation where he felt like he needed to create a response that we're going to follow for the next 40 to 50 days. It's a 40-day period, but we're starting, you know, we're going to start and finish a little further out in, in several ways. So the point that, that Zach's getting at, the point that I'm getting at, is, is we have to figure out what we're not doing right and we need to figure out what we do right and do more of it and better. And it's really simple. See, that's the problem with being a Christian. We overcomplicate everything. We make it about programs and buildings and spaces and money and, and entertainment and everything. But, you know, all anybody needs to be a really good sanctified Christian is the words of Jesus. Right? Just read the red ink you know before we had a bible before there was letters from paul and timothy compiled it and or, or to timothy rather and then letters by peter and james and john and all that and before there were uh gospel messages from the apostles you know before all of that the first known written form of scripture for new testament believers was something that was called by scholars q I don't know why scholars call it Q. When I hear Q, I think of the gadget guy from the James Bond movies, but this is what they called it, Q. You know what the Q document was? The sayings of Jesus. It was the red ink. They just read the words of Jesus and their lives were changed just like the people who heard the words of Jesus. I know I sound like I'm worked up a little bit, but that's because I want to see something good happen in the middle of all this ugliness that's just become so commonplace in the world these days. I don't know about you, but I'm worried about what's going on with Russia and Ukraine. I'm worried about the next storm that blows through. I'm worried about high gas prices and inflation and whether my loved ones can keep up with the cost of living. I'm worried about a lot of things that I think you're worried about too. But when I read the words of Jesus and he says, don't let your heart be troubled. He says, if the Lord knows when a sparrow falls from the sky, he knows your situation. Why don't we take that to heart when we need it most? Probably because we listen to everything but the words of Jesus. We did the Bible in 90 days and it was a great success. So many people were excited and so many were so proud that they had done something they'd never dreamed possible. They read the entire Bible and they did it in three months. But you know, this is so much easier. This is so much easier. All we're going to do is read the words of Jesus and see what they can do to change our lives. I'm gambling. I'm sure personally that they will because here's something I know from my own sanctifying journey. 
You've heard me say that we worship God because we just can't help it. I will tell you that if you truly are born again, you will begin the sanctifying journey because you just can't help it. <laughs> you will. You cannot resist the power of the Holy Spirit within you. You can slow it down. <laughs> you know, you can slow it down, but you cannot resist that power. And like it or not, if you take the Lord seriously and you believe that this transformation began in you the day you confess Christ as your Savior and Lord, then I promise you, you are on a journey of sanctification, but it could go a lot faster. And it could have a more profound impact on your life if you let it. I can tell you that I'm sure that I'm more sanctified man today than I was 10 years ago. And I'm praying and hoping that 10 years from now, you'll meet a more sanctified man than you see now. Because I should be changing over. Now, when we talk about girls, we say, you know, caterpillars into butterflies. When we talk about dudes, we say, you know, tadpoles into frogs, right? Well, I hope I'm making the transition before your eyes from frog or tadpole to frog, right? You know, I hope that this is what's happening before the Lord's eyes. And I wish it for you too. So over the next five weeks on Sundays, we'll talk about the five major themes of the Red Letter Challenge. And in your small groups, you will flesh these out more. We'll talk about being. The number one thing that everybody has to do is be. Be in the presence of Jesus. Embrace his being in your being. In other words, we're talking about your soul. We're saying that basically when you accept Christ as your Lord, as your Savior, that your, your inner being changes. And so the fact that you would embrace that but then resist it all at the same time is absurd. What we really want to do is practice presence. We want to be in the presence of Christ. And I recognize that he is in our midst all the time. We'll talk about forgiving. You know, we can never talk about that enough. And honestly, people who find that subject off-putting need it worse than anybody. Just this morning, I realized that there are some people that have harbored such ill will and unforgiveness towards us because of something we didn't even know we didn't do. That it means that no matter how many times we say we're sorry, it won't matter until we're forgiven. And there's where the real transformative power of forgiveness comes. It's not in the one who's being forgiven. It's the one who's doing the forgiving. So we're going to talk about that. We're going to talk about serving. And you know, serving, it isn't just about the things Jessica invites you to do on missions and trips and mission activities in town. Serving is a frame of mind. It's about giving. Fourth topic is giving. And it isn't just about putting money in the offering plate. It's about giving. Because it is better to give than receive. Doesn't that sound cliche? How sad it is that the precious words of our Lord have become cliche. And you're more likely to hear them from people who would not associate with Christians than from the mouths of Christians. And the last topic is going. Going is obedience and submission to Christ. If we aren't going, 
it means that we're more concerned about where we're staying. And so we go wherever he sends us because it's better to follow him into an unknown than it is to remain flat and gray and lifeless in a known situation. Here's the thing. I invite you to join the Red Letter Challenge because if we would live out the words of Jesus, we would have an infectious disease on our hands like the one we've been dealing with the last couple of years. We would be a force in the community and not because we went out intentionally to do it, but because we would just be contagious. And wouldn't that be something? Well, in order to get this sickness and spread it thoroughly, the first thing you have to do is join a small group because if you try to do it on your own, it won't be quite as good. And so I urge you to join one of the many small groups here at Shiloh that are going to use the Red Letter Challenge materials for the next 40 days. Um, some of them are starting as early as Tuesday. Most are starting on Thursday. And finally, everybody's going to start on Sunday next week. And if you're not in a small group or you're not sure where they are or who they are and you want to join, I will pave the way for you. I will help you. I'll work with my team. We'll make sure that you get into a small group. If you want to start a small group, first of all, I want to tell you, yes, you can. It's easy. If you need a place to meet, we have more than enough room around here. But if you want to do it at your house, that's okay, too. I will set you up. Just reach out to me. And what will happen if you do this is you all need to get a hold of these books that are over here to work with as a guide uh, through the generosity of our family of faith, those books are discounted to half their retail price. And, you know, in faith, you can talk to me about whether even that is a burden to you and I'll help you out. We'll get you a book either way, but take the book and put your 1250 in the box there if you can. And if you want to do it electronically or give it later, we'll, we'll work it all out. You're watching online, unfortunately, you're going to have to go to Amazon or someplace like that, and they're $26 on Amazon. But you'll be glad. It'd be better, better spent than on a couple of large pizzas. That much I'm certain of. So let's do this together. Let's do this together. We can. Let me pray for us now. Almighty God, boy. You lit me up. Now light your people on fire, I pray, for your name's sake and for your glory. Amen.